Hello, welcome to episode 6. I'm Nathan Little. I'm Alex Maxwell. And I'm Max Phillips. And today, we did a little uh, Instagram poll earlier in the week. And uh, we asked what you know what you wanted us to cover. And uh, one of those answers was David Fincher. And since we are all simple little film boys, we, uh, we're big fans of David Fincher. Who isn't, right? He's great. So we figured, let's do an entire podcast about him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, also, I should just say, this is our first episode on uh, listening platforms, not yeah. just YouTube. So it'll be nice and confusing for listeners, because it'll say episode one, but this is, in fact, episode six. Uh, so feel free to drop drop onto our YouTube channel to check the earlier episodes out. But this episode, all about David Fincher. It's going to be a good one. We're nice it's and prepared. for the audio listeners, because I feel like I'm quite David Finchery. So, yeah, yeah. Nathan, Nathan's got that lovely orange hue going on. It's, and it uh, still will be available on YouTube. It will, so you can go and see it. Yeah. You can I'm, more, I'm, I'm not going for the Fincher, I'm going for more like a, a sort of a drive aesthetic. There's the mm. neon and the warm lighting. And I've not gone quite for I forgot to charge the rest of the lights. <laughs> <laughs> but I've made it a little bit moodier by just keeping a light on over there. It's perfect. It it's it's perfect. Here. It's great. We're always prepared. Always prepared. Hell yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, David Fincher, boys. First of yeah. all, you know. Who's he? Uh, he's a director, mate. Director. He's oh. done a few short films. <laughs> Of films. You, you probably, you probably yeah, know. films. So, some telly shows as well. <sighs> I yeah. think this is best to leave it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. You never For the audio really. listeners, he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Visual gags. Probably, yeah. probably not so hot for right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's kick things off. Nice, plain, and simple question for you both. I'll go to Nathan first. Uh, David Fincher, what are your thoughts on him? I like him. I think he's probably um, one of my favourite directors. I wouldn't say my favourite, because I do have a special place for Edgar Wright. We could do a yeah. whole podcast on him as well. I'm, sh- I'm sure we will. I'm sure we requested. will. Um, but yeah, it, it the sheer um, dedication to the, the craft and the art, like the numerous takes that it takes mm. for him to get the film that he wants and the just yeah. the first thing that comes to mind is is like just those static conversation shots like people think of like fight club yeah. stuff like lots of action and that kind of thing but like the thing that he's just so good at is just directing a conversation my favorite parts about fight club are the parts where it's just um the protagonist and marla having a conversation yeah. in the kitchens yeah. and stuff and she obviously knows the twist before we do right yeah so she's she's aware of something going on so she's always questioning it and i think when you it's it's quite difficult because i'd like to watch it with a fresh mind because now it's it's fight club to me so i go into it and i I know the twist so i'm like watching it like she's questioning it because obviously you know brad pitt isn't a real person yeah so what's what's interesting from my perspective is I watched this for the first time. I watched Fight Club for the first time this week in preparation for this because I, I, I've watched a number of David Fincher films, but it was one that we talked about. It's kind of iconic. I bought the DVD uh, maybe six years ago. Yeah. And never watched it. Um, but kind of being so late to the game, obviously, I knew the twist mm-hmm. already, which was a weird position to watch it in, for the first time in because of how it's done. Because I'm thinking, wait, hang on. Has someone been lying to me this whole time? Is is that the twist? <laughs> what's go how is this I think in particular the scenes where where he's like in the house and he's like I, I don't know, what maybe working out and he can just hear he's just doing stuff and he can hear, you know, Brad Pitt's character just banging Helena Bonham Carter and I'm thinking Yeah. They can't be the same guy. <laughs> But, but he, you, you yeah. never see them together. Never, not like, once. They're never in the same like, room together. And he even he even says it in the film. It's even addressed. He says it out loud. Uh, yep. They're never in the same room together. And you're going, I see what you're doing there, David. That's mm-hmm. very clever. Kind of knowing it, you're like, that's because. Well, they're yeah. not in the same room when there's other people. Because there's yeah, the bit when they're like outside. Like Marla, Marla yeah, leaves, sorry, yeah. Brad comes yeah. in. Leaves in. Yeah. And it's... They they do that a few times and you think, huh? Mm. Yeah. 
Well, that, was, that actually raises quite an interesting point there with you saying uh, you'd only just watch Fight Club, Alex, because it's such an iconic film. And I think yeah. it speaks a lot to the film's nature that you owned the DVD six years ago just because it's Fight Club, you know, you've got to, everyone's got to see it. You know, I was the student at uni that had the Fight Club poster on his wall. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, I, I, I've been a Fincher fanboy for a long time, and I think Nathan's sort of the same. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're all on different levels with it, but Alex is sort of uh, hot and cold, I think, right? You're a fan, but also. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen a number of uh, other Fincher films that I have, uh, like, loved and adored. And it's kind of when you're so into something, you then go into it and you're, like, looking up articles and videos about it and you want to see other yeah. things. You end up in that, like, YouTube hole. Yeah. Um, and, like, I've done that for, for a number of his films. And I just had never gotten around to Fight Club. And uh, I can appreciate it. But yeah, I think obviously I've seen films that he's done after that, and kind of obviously everyone mm-hmm. grows and develops, and it's like it's like reading the Harry Potter books. I started those when I was a child, like, and then as I got older and they were released, I read them, and the writing style of them develops and matures. I then tried to reread the first one as an adult. And it was so painful because it's written for a child. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. written for young children, but the other ones are written for older children, teenagers, and it's yeah more digestible. And it was like it was almost like that, in that I've seen a more developed Fincher. And As your taste has developed. Club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've I've kind of gone back to where he kind of not started, obviously, but further back in his development and um, further back in mine mm-hmm. i guess and thing is, i enjoyed it it's not a bad film by any means yeah um, of course i think as well there is the the trap of of hype um, uh, f- for sure definitely yeah absolutely well when, when, that's the thing when it's like um for anyone that isn't like a film media student fight club is like the film of film and media students it's like yeah fight club fight club this thing this scene in fight club like everything is is to do with it and it's probably the one if you do like film studies as well you will have seen it everyone who does that kind of like film study kind of thing watches fight club unless you're alex apparently (laughs) Apparently. i I never intended to study media so yeah that's a good point a late bloomer yeah well i'll an interesting point to make Despite knowing the twist, uh, I didn't know the second rule of Fight Club. (laughs) (laughs) And they said that, you know, the first rule of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. And I was like, okay, let's hear the rest. He was like, the second rule of Fight Club. And I was like, yeah? And he was like, it's the same thing. I was like, wait, I've gone so many years. I don't think that's a line. (laughs) The second rule of Fight Club is the same thing. Yeah, could you imagine? That would be a different, a different vibe. But yeah, no, I, I like managed to we dodge write. that bullet the whole time. I kept the other rules just as a little surprise for when I got around to it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you say about him maturing because uh, my personal favourite Fincher films are certainly his latter day ones, with the exception of Seven, uh, mm. which oh, is prob- I probably put at my second favourite. Um, and it's one of those that is a, it's a special film. Which sort of leads me on to my first topic choice is what do you think it is that makes him special, that makes him stand out, that makes him be the first director that we've done a that on one podcast on? You know, we've not done it on anyone else yet. Why is David Fincher the first one we've gone to? Why is he special? If, to if you? I could chime in on that. Yeah. It's not even this isn't entirely an answer. Um it's Brilliant. It's not so much why he's special, <laughs> but evidence of the fact that he is. So yep. similar to Fight Club, I knew the twist of Seven before I watched it. Okay. And yet with both films, there was still this need to watch it. Yeah. Because there's still so much in the film. Like, the film doesn't lean on its twist. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the thing what is in other... the box? Who gives a yeah. fuck? Watch the whole film. It's amazing. The thing with, like, other directors is, and I don't want to, like... Uh, say that these are bad films, but particularly with M. Night Shyamalan yeah. films, it's like, the twist is the film, which is fine, because at mm. the end of the day, things like, um, oh shit, I can't even remember what, uh, Sixth Sense, Yeah, they're really good films, but it is like, the twist is like the big kind of reveal, it's like the thing that everything's leading up to, 
it's also the one thing you remember about the sixth exactly sense, right but you do remember the bit of the twist of david fincher films but then you're also like mm. there's so much more before that that yeah. like yeah. you can kind of like you said you can forget about the twist because it's not the, the especially with seven it's not like this massive like reveal of like a twist because there's so much more that came before it it's not everything leads yeah. up to that point yeah everything leads to that point in terms of his character and those two characters sort yeah. of coming to that final the crux of that yeah story. like the, the conclusion of that kind of from the climax but you can kind of just go there's so much more film that's before that that the twist yeah. doesn't you could kind of actually get rid of that bit and just be like well this is an amazing film and then that's a bonus on top of it yeah it yeah. could be it could be cut I mean, maybe not so much with Fight Club, because yeah. with Fight Club, the twist is more, I don't know, that whole film is essentially just delving into the human psyche. It's a big character and, study, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and so with that, that's just kind of an explanation of what's there. But even then... It's almost more it, of it a reveal than a twist, isn't it? Yeah, it mm. could go unsaid. Yeah. That, and it could be left to interpretation. People could say oh, well, this is just a person who's influenced him and re made him realise yep. this, or mm -hmm. some people would just assume that's that's his head, that's his own head. Well, and yep. you would find that with, with, with other... in other films as well, it's kind of like, is it this, or is it... like, there's a lot of interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's... there is, like, a, a bit of dialogue where I think he does just say it, like, there's, like, a back and forth between the two characters, and he's like, we're the same person, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, it sounds like such a terrible piece of dialogue. It's like, hey, it sounds exposition. Like so, yeah, it's like so much exposition, but it's actually... <gasps> but I'm you. Well, <laughs> do you know what? Fincher, that's one thing I really like about Fincher, is um, quite a lot of uh, directors and young filmmakers as well are encouraged to uh, steer away from exposition. Whereas I feel yeah. like Fincher really embraces it. It, it. Granted, he does it in a way that is just like, what likes like mm, unthinkably mm. good because you don't notice it's happening which is just i mean fight club the fight club fight club is probably the one exception i mean it is still very subtextual but it, it's the one exception where it is there's a lot of verbal exposition yeah well I, I was me, gonna i was gonna say obviously as you as you know like fight club hot and cold um in terms of personal taste we've talked about this before and i know it has its place in the film world, but I'm not a huge fan of narration. Right, I just yeah. I never have been. Um, kind of show not tell has kind mm -hmm. of been something that's been driven into my head. And like it, like you know, it's quite interesting seeing it done as well as it was. Yeah, um, because you can have there's always good and bad versions of things. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad narration out there. But David Fincher is someone who can take something that can feel a bit ugh. Yeah, and, and that's credit to exciting. that's credit to the writers that he chooses to work with as well, of course. Yeah, uh, oh, but it's yeah. certainly yeah, it's certainly, but it's certainly I think that does come down to him in the way that it's told on screen. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. But was... for, for me, what I was going to say is the the way that his exposition typically works, especially in his latter day work, um, is through his just pure direction. So completely anything that's gone unsaid. So be it uh, his blocking in the social network, which is just insanely good, mm -hmm. and in Seven as well. Um, and it's his this uh, meticulous desire for uh, perfection, and that's why he's famous for getting so many takes, mm -hmm. is because he just needs to... Everything has to tell a story within the scene, right? Yeah. And that's just like, if it's uh, through movement of characters and you know the geography of a scene, uh, and whether that is replicating character arcs or helping the plot move along he does it in uh, every scene and it's crazy how much effort he puts into it the thing that is so good about um the way that he reveals the exposition though because if you the in the scene in the girl's dragon tattoo where they're kind of doing like the investigative work where they're looking at all those photographs and they're like mm -hmm. trying to find like this person was here and that they like normally mm. what happens is someone will like they'll basically just have like here's all my notes and they'll like tell it to another character and, like this is how i came to this conclusion or a person they'll show like a, a shot of someone like typing away at a computer and then they go oh, 
I've I've, got yeah. it. I've got it. But what he does is you have a close-up of the character, a close-up of the thing, and then their notes, and then you as the viewer have the point of view of what they're seeing and the way that they're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the conclusion at the same time as the character, which makes it so much more rewarding because it's like you figured we it out. Did it. They figured it out. I'm yeah. part of this film rather than just being told what like the what you're supposed to you know have figured out yourself basically. Yeah, and I think, I think um, with uh, with how Fincher works in that way, it's it's so technically efficient, but mm. it doesn't always it's i'll come to that in a bit but it doesn't always lean too like too much on that as a crutch it can you focus on story for the majority of his films yeah um and that sort of just makes me you know when i think about that i think when i think about fincher sorry i think technical marvel and just the mm. intricate details in his direction and in the camera work and in the lighting and in the score everything he does i think is just like outstanding mm. but he also has this this very keen knowledge of story and how to tell it within a film yep. that makes draws me back to the films every time, with maybe one exception. Um, I'm sure you guys will maybe disagree or agree on what the exception is, but I, I uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, it's um, I'm just uh, sort of wanted to ask you guys what you think his technical standout is, because I think there is a, a worry with technical films that yeah, and I, I have this problem with Charlie Kaufman. He has Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is technically crazy um, and, and one hell of an achievement, but it's also a really good story, a really good watch. And then he also has Synecdoche, New York, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, which gets a lot of good reviews, and I know a lot of people really like that film, but I could not engage with it at all because I just didn't like the story. I didn't like the characters. It was a bit too Charlie Kaufman for me. Yeah. Whereas I think David Fincher has this perfect thing that Christopher Nolan has going on as well of story is key, right? That's what I was going to say. But like, before, you, yeah. before we get onto that though, I do want to know what your favourite technical standouts are from him because even though story is key, he also has all these moments like we well, were talking about earlier where his technicality is just sublime. It, it, it ties in though, kind of, I suppose where I avoided answering your question before the answer to this one does kind of it's what makes him so special um i know you'll have I, I know you'll have seen it it's essentially a video about um it's very easy to find on youtube um but it's basically how he uses special effects but it's hidden like there isn't any big flashy avengers monsters yeah. or like anything like that um, it like you said, it's story driven. That's what makes him so special. No matter how much technicality, or 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 special effects, and there's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hidden. He's never trying to make a point of look at how good we are at doing CGI. It's yeah. just yeah. this is integral to the story. Um, I think probably the one that that. Let me think. I'm trying to think of the one. That I can think of the most that that explains that. I mean, there's the blood. You know, he doesn't. Girls, the dragon tattoo. It did that a lot, and especially that the one, one when he's in the shower. Yeah. Oh, with the yeah. blood trickling down. Yeah. But in so terms of story, because that's 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 that does tie into story because it's hmm. getting the it's because he has to shoot so many takes, and you can't be like, you can't be redoing takes with loads of like practical fake blood. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But things like in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, the motorbike scene, where she's like, at the, uh, it's towards the end. Yeah, she over, just the, hops uh, on like her over bike. the bridge. Oh, and the, the yeah. fire explosion and the way the no, camera comes around. That. No, it's before that. Oh, right, okay. It's that the entire fact bike that she's sequences. not wearing a helmet. Yeah. She's, not wearing a, yeah. she's worn a helmet the entire film. Mm-hmm. And at that point, she doesn't because following her character arc at this point she's become a little bit more reckless and she's just she needs to do what she's got to do so she's hopping on and she's going and what i didn't know is that is a stunt driver on the bike wearing essentially like a green helmet like a a motion oh really i didn't know they've then 3d scanned her head and put up because Mm. they couldn't do it without someone on a bike without a helmet yeah 
but the character needed to not be it could have been so easy to just keep the helmet on yeah but that wouldn't have been true to the moment in the story to the character yeah and so he spent x amount of money and however many like of takes of this and then taking it to the green like the the editors and the special effects creators and it's moments like that where there would be such an easy answer to do it so much easier and cheaper but that's yeah. what the story and the character well, it's like and it's, it's, it's that, that control it's like if you can because when you're filming something in camera for real if you don't get it the way you want you have to go and do another take in cg if you don't get it the way you want you tweak something a little bit there's not like that it's almost like a real time kind of thing like i want this light here i want this there and i want this to move like this there's a whole setup with that where maybe you run through a take and you're like okay i want that different i want this performance to be a bit different then you do another take but in cg it's just like well let's just change a few keyframes let's just move this bit here let's do this so it's almost easier to be David Fincher in 3D <laughs> yeah. than it is to be in real life because yeah, but, you can just have such a fine control of everything. But it's and this think- interesting thing, right, of the every, as Alex said, every sort of technical marvel that he achieves is all for the sake of story. So Alex's yes. example was about special effects. Mine is, like I said earlier, it's about the way that he uses camera and that he uses blocking. And yep. I was thinking about this because I was like, right, when I give an example here, the boys are going to expect me to do a scene from The Social Network because it's my favourite film and I could talk about it forever. So I thought I'd go a bit out of the box and pick a, a slightly less <laughs> unpopular film. Uh, I've gone for Seven. Seven. No, it's, yeah. it's still it's still all-time classic film, right? Mm-hmm. And, so Seven. And, so Seven. And, <laughs> but the camera work in that film I, I rewatched oh, yeah. it last month and I forgot just how good it is, and especially in the final scene. So there's a thing that uh, I've always known about Fincher, and I've taken it on myself as well when I'm making films that I don't like handheld. Mm-hmm. And fin- Fincher like never uses it unless he has to. Uh, and I think Seven might be the film with the most handheld shots. It has, the Girl with uh, Dragon it has, Tattoo is. Oh, so it has okay. got a lot. Has well, three, the, social, but... the social network has one shot, one yes, shot in one the whole shot, thing. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, seven has like five scenes tops, not many at all. Yeah. Uh, but crucially, my favorite example is at the end. So in the final scene, which uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen seven, it came out in the nineties. Sort yourself out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gwyneth's Gwyneth's head ends up in a in a box. Bless her. And I also have in my notes, right, when I bring up that point, Alex says, what's in the box? Anyway, <laughs> what's in the box? <laughs> um, so in that scene, uh, as I said, it's been on a tripod pretty much the whole time, apart mm. from in the like corridor chasey scenes that they do, because you've kind of got to use it a bit there. But um, suddenly, once the power dynamic changes... John Doe is on a tripod the entire time. Yep. The entire time. To, sort of reflecting his manner, like his calm, controlling manner. And the camera gets gradually shakier when you're on the detectives as Brad Pitt learns and sort of starts working out in his head what might yeah. be in the box. Uh, and that's just like one example. There's so many that are just but every like intricate back things. To, to John Doe is yes, just a cl- still, like still. It's pretty much just like that close up just of mm-hmm. his head and it's just perfectly still on yeah. a tripod and, and then as soon as you cut back it's just like and it's little things as well like the way the way he uses close-ups like you said like yeah. I, I i think back to the uh it's not one i hear people talk about a lot but in um the scene where morgan freeman's character uh somerset jesus i remember yeah. <laughs> but he goes around to have dinner with brad pitt and his wife um and brad pitt at the time it's early on in the film he's sort of the still sort of rogue new cop learning the Learning the trick about black. his partner, yeah, and every every shot at that table of Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow is just like a nice mid shot conversation one. Brad Pitt's ones are all close ups because you can see him cross examining what's happening and trying to work out his partner. So when you don't use close ups a lot and you use them just to tell a story, mm. that's that's just like crazy impressive to me. I think well, part of it as well is immersion. Like, I know we've talked a lot mm. about story there, um, but one of the kind of special things, and again, kind of 
it's, it's so difficult to say standout moment or moments because there's mm. so many. There is so many. But in particular, Zodiac is there's a lot of, and I'm I'm gonna go back to the CG moments because I've watched that same video so many times. I don't want to be a one trick pony, <laughs> but it it gave me a whole a whole new respect for it. And it's it's how do you show you're in San Francisco in any film? How do you show it? You show uh, you, yeah. You shoot in Toronto, and then you CG in the, the rest of the <laughs> town. But, like, was it San Francisco? Am I thinking of the right place? Yeah, uh, it's San Francisco. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. definitely set in Los Angeles, so I would, yeah, it's San Francisco. But you, you show the bridge. But yeah, that, oh, I that, see where you're going at. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. where the story is, is, is set is nowhere near the bridge. So how do you do it? And they recreated the skyline of, of the, the city they were in, wherever they were at. But that skyline was completely different. And then there's another one where they're at a crime scene and basically everything around them, like the, you can change kind of your immediate vicinity. And I believe they were, they weren't on location. They were in, they were in a, a studio setting with lots of green screen. But basically that was digitally created prior. It, it, is and it they that used scene, all the, the, the motion. That shot with Mark Ruffalo where yes. he like turns back. And the and like I think I've seen that video actually. The entire like scene washes away. It's just everything's green screen. It's just him yeah. on a green screen. But you're like, Hold but it's on. handheld. Yeah, it's handheld and moving around, and so like they had to digitally create. Yeah, that and it and it's in the past, so everything's everything's different. Yeah, so it's it's those moments where you're in a studio, but when you're watching it, you're like, okay, they they'll they'll have shot this on a street. They'll, they'll yeah. shut this on the yeah. street, and then there's, they would have had like there's one CG shot light bulbs and stuff, and yeah. in Zodiac that I love, but I don't like it in the film. It's okay, the one okay. you love where, it technically. Yeah, technically, it's the one where I don't know if it's the taxi or if it's the police car, but it's directly above, like a yes. bird's eye view, directly I know down, and it follows the car. I think it's an incredible shot. I just I I don't know why it's there. Personally, it yeah. seems a little bit like look at what I can do with this. Well, CG. that sort of that sort of uh, leads me on to the next follow part because we've done a lot of arse licking in this bit. So I, I I'm kind <laughs> of interested to know, especially because I'm like King Fincher arse licker. So I, <laughs> when I was writing this up, I was like, I have to think about this <laughs> and try and not and be objective, you know. Uh, and I I know that Alex will have something to say, but uh, what are the Examples where you think he doesn't quite hit the mark, whether it's a shot like that, or whether it's a scene or an entire film. Because I'll, while you think about it, I'll go for mine. Because it took me a while to think him, and then I was like, actually, if I think back to last month or two months ago, whenever Mank came out, that film I was so excited for, man. Gary Oldman, uh, <laughs> yeah, black and white David Fincher film. Come on, I'm such a pretentious wanker. I love that shit. <laughs> And I did not like it. I didn't like the film. I thought it was really? object. I thought it was objectively good, but I didn't enjoy it. Mm. And I've been sort of trying to think about why. And it's. It, I think about it. I sort of. I've always had this theory of when I think of films, right? That it's sort of like when you're creating a film, you walk in a balance beam. On the right hand side, you've got story led, and on the left hand side, you've got technical ability. Some directors can go all the way left, some directors can go all the way right, and it works just fine, and you have a good time. I think David Fincher is one of those that operates pretty much directly in the middle, but when he deviates, it will change the way I think about film. So say something like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, or mm -hmm. Gone Girl, they lean slightly to the right, more to the story-led. Mm. Still, it's still Fincher, so there's still loads of technical, amazing stuff in them, but it's very much focused on the story. Um... And that might mean that they get a little less high critical reception. And then you've got the social network, which is and seven, which are like slam in the middle for me. Zodiac sort of in the middle as well. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't have any really. Maybe Fight Club that deviates slightly to the left of technical stylization over story, but it's so story driven that it's hard to say that really. I feel like but Mank, fight... but Mank definitely did to me. Yeah. I feel like it was so focused on its stylization because if you don't know what it is, it's set 
around the story of uh, writing of Citizen Kane, which is dubious, by the way. Mank didn't, you know, the film gives him way too much credit to sort of take away from Orson Welles, which is a very weird thing, because Orson Welles, that was his film, Citizen Kane. But that's a conversation for another day. For me, it was just so focused on the stylization and the sort of performance of it, like make it a big performance piece, that it just forgot to be, and obviously this is objective, but it just sort of forgot to be an interesting, engaging story. Mm. And then I just thought, I thought that was just interesting that the one film that I don't like of his is where he deviates away slightly from story and focuses more on the stylization and the mm. technical ability of it. I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if there is another, because I was going to say with Fight Club, it is quite a stylized film in the fact that you've got the bit, you know, where like that fourth wall break bit where the, the film reel, like, yes. comes into shot, basically. Um, and there's, you know, there's a few like of those technical bits. But like you said, I don't feel like there is a lot of times when he has kind of like fusing that scale, like where he has kind of gone and been a bit more like of the technical the bit. And yeah, mm-hmm. like it is, you're right, there is a lot of like it's 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 either story or it's technical and story and they're like bang in the middle and that's though I the thing is I think I was gonna say I think those are the best films, but actually looking back on it, like the social network and Gone Girl are just incredible social network is probably my favorite film of yeah, david finches it's my favorite film full stop i i, I adore it um, i think i think kind of following on that point it's because i've been trying to figure out why fight club didn't do it for me and mm-hmm. i think i think you've almost hit the the nail on the head i i was really enjoying the whole film and then the ending happened and I wasn't satisfied. Mm. Yeah. And you kind of talk about the kind of technical elements versus the story elements. It was so story-driven for the whole film. And then and then you've kind of got this scene in the building, the kind of the abandoned building, mm. and he picks up his gun and he shoots himself in the mouth. Yeah. And for a second you're thinking he's dead. And like by killing himself, he's killed the Brad Pitt driving moment, and then the 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 smoke is kind of fading away, and he stands up and he's talking, he's talking to to Helena Bonham Carter's character. And like, Hang on, you've just shot yourself in the mouth. How you how you stood up and talking, yeah. and like that shot itself is yeah, a CG and, and kind do, of. Do you know what? Do you know the weird thing about that cheek wobbling thing? That's one of it's one of my yeah, it's one of my gripes as well because Ed Norton is so good in that film, like Mm -hmm. so good in that film. Mm. But then in that final scene, he spends once he's shot himself in the mouth, he he has about two, three lines where he's speaking like he's been shot in the mouth, and then it Mm. just drops like he he suddenly just (laughs) sort of got his it just sounds like he's sort of hurt himself, like he's doing that kind of voice, which is it. I I found that just so jarring and weird. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's an interpretation thing. Maybe yeah. he died. Maybe he has killed himself. Yeah, I don't know. And then all the buildings blow up, and you're like, right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's then... such a it's such like a, a a curve from the rest of the film, isn't it? Because there's so it it's not not like it's not dramatic, but like that's such like a massive thing to be happening in yeah. quite a condensed, like very almost minimal story like it, it's it's a few characters apart from like you know the the extras of the fight club basically but it's yeah. like it's basically one character and, and, and the relationship with another character when one character is two characters that makes sense yeah <laughs> but it's like it's just those three characters basically isn't it in a very condensed story and then you're suddenly like hold on why is he done this why is all that exploding what what the hell is going on now so like yeah there's obviously well, this, interpretation there yeah it's it's but... kind of my point on kind of where i find that perhaps he falls short and like you were saying about the technical side because i was looking up something else just to double check that i had my facts right before and i read it was on the same article it says the final shot of the collapsing credit bank buildings was designed by richard dr bailey he worked on the shot for Worked on the shot for over 14 months, and according to Fincher, 
There's almost 4 million separately animated digital elements in the shot. Wow. And you look at that and you think that's a whole shitload of work. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, this, this is the exact same reason I said he was amazing, is kind of all of this work that goes behind the shots. Mm-hmm. But you look at something like that, that for me didn't work or mm. make sense or yeah. feel tr- it didn't f- and maybe it's because it didn't feel true to the story and then you look at the girl with the dragon tattoo where she's got a fringe and she has that little bit cut out of her fringe that little bit that's cut out of her fringe is digitally animated so I that didn't, it's <laughs> i didn't know that either. the whole wait, the whole thing for the whole, Every, the whole thing. film Wow. To make sure it's wow. in the same spot. So, like, if her hair, like, wow. moved over or moved that way. And it's kind of one of those things that's just... It's a little too much. So, yeah, I, I think maybe... For me, like, where it, it works when it works, and then it can just be a bit unnecessary at times. For mm-hmm. very little payoff. I see what you mean. Well... Let's get the negatives out of the way because this is a nice podcast where we're nice boys. We love David Fincher. Um, I, come this, on. Eh? I <laughs> wanted to talk about intros. Uh, okay. Welcome just... to the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a podcast. Yeah, again, sorry. If you're listening on audio, uh, you won't get that running gag. But that is a that is a, a running funny, joke we have we on the podcast. We, we run a lot of the earlier ones. You'll get it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, <laughs> negatives out of the way. Intros. That's what we want to talk about. I think he's the best in the game at intros. I think you can probably uh, guess what my example is going to be. I'm sat right here, mate. That's pretty. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Alex. Right you That's you okay. are better than Fincher. My bad. <laughs> oh, right. Undiscovered. <laughs> I don't want to overstep. Just at intros. You'll be you'll be surprised to hear that my favorite intro of any film. Well, it's tied, but. It's the social network. The other one, really? Is, uh, yeah, yeah, shocking, right? No way. I know. I, I like that film a bit. Uh, it's tied <laughs> with uh, Inglorious Bastards, by the way. What an intro! Ooh! Okay, could do a whole podcast on that on its own, but um, <laughs> let's not. No, no. <laughs> uh, but the social network's intro is just sublime. I think mm-hmm. it tells you everything you need to know about the entire film in what uh, two scenes, if you count sort of the the choice in that so the first scene is him uh talking to his girlfriend and essentially breaking up with his girlfriend in the opening scene and then the second scene is him walking home from that and just the the choice to just focus on that while you do the intro credits of just him walking through harvard and i don't know what it is about it it's the way he moves within the shot it's the soundtrack it's the fucking gorgeous color grade uh the way that he walks home he, you can tell that he isolates himself, but yet he sort of walks with this confidence. I know this is the most pretentious thing anyone's ever said, but you can no. tell everything about Zuckerberg from just that shot. Hmm. And then that's without even talking about the amazing scene that comes before it of the dinner conversation. That which I know Nathan that, wanted that to talk is about. Like, I mean, Aaron Sorkin's dialogue yeah. is just incredible. Like, Nathan, I feel do you like... like Aaron Sorkin. No. <laughs> so we've got social media guy over here and we have Aaron Sorkin guy over here and you've got me uh, that's it so yeah, yeah you like Aaron You're Sorkin <laughs> <laughs> I like watching pictures that that just just a dialogue between the two of them it's it's just if you if you read it it's just like these two people are complete not like they're on different levels because it's like oh he's trying to he's just a bit of a dick or whatever like genuinely if you read it line by line he is always or she's always one step behind him he's on to the next thing and she's like yeah okay i'm trying to like answer the previous thing and he's already on to another thing mm-hmm. like and, and if you like kind of line it up it's always going like back so like the thing she's responding to is the thing before the thing that he's just said yeah because yeah. obviously like that's just kind of the person he is he's like going like He's, he doesn't really care if someone's not following the conversation, basically. It's like, I'm just going to keep plowing on ahead. And she's like, hold on, I'm trying to, like, answer this thing that you've just said. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. follow my conversation, basically. I think, Which is I think his entire that, character, right? Yeah, exactly. I think from that, obviously, like, obviously this isn't an Aaron Sorkin episode, but, like, Aaron Sorkin's kind of top of his game. 
in what he does. Yeah. Like in particular, in, in write, writing, uh, writing. I, I, he is directing yes. now. Yes, yes. Which he's not top of his game. He's not top of his game yet. Yeah. So in terms of the writing, in particular dialogue, like I mean, I know he wrote and directed the trial of the Chicago Seven, mm-hmm. but my God, what a film! Yeah, and, and do you know what that film as well? Just to briefly stick on that, I, it didn't get that amazing uh, coverage, and I know Mark Commode wasn't that hot on it, but I really liked it. I thought it was uh, amazing. It is probably it's one of my favorite films, genuinely. Yeah, but I think when you put someone, and I'm gonna hold my hands up here, they know it, but the audience don't. I haven't watched The Social Network, mm-hmm. but when you have these powerhouses like Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher come together, like you're gonna, I need to watch it. I'll watch it. You, you're guaranteed to get a good film because yeah. just yeah. the the. Going back to that first scene, because that intro is an incredible thing. First of all, you jump straight into the conversation. Like, yep. there's, it's not even, you don't even have like an intro to the intro. It's just bang straight into the middle of a conversation, which Action. is very, very, very sorkin. From like the, yeah, it's very sorkin. But it's like, it's very like, you're not even like, here are these characters. It's like, you find out who these characters are now, like, because of the way that they're talking to each other. Mm hmm. It's it's just such an amazing way to open a film because it's just there's no pissing around. You're straight in there. You learn who yep. these people are, and then as you were saying, the scene after, like that's just kind of cementing who this guy is and who he is for the rest of the film because that, like you said, it just mm-hmm. sets up the entire character. Yeah, and it's somebody that we know. Like, yeah, it it's not necessarily it's not a biopic. It's it's a dramatic. You know, Aaron, yeah. that's the thing. Aaron Sorkin does real life, like he did. Drama. He, he does. He does like um, not like actual biopics, but it's like it's uh, a dramatized version of real life because no one talks yeah. like the way people. Like if you yeah. read Aaron Sorkin, it's like no one talks like this, but it makes a great films. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. But kind of from that, in terms of making a film, you kind of look at the basic structure of a film and like introducing characters. There's there's an element of okay, how do I introduce an audience to someone who's known so globally? Mm-hmm. How do, how do you do that? And and doing it so well that it's somebody's favorite intro of all time. Yeah, like that. That's insane. And it also isn't it just funny because uh, if you remember, this came out in 2010, which is nearly a de- uh, not well, nearly over sorry a decade, over a decade ago now. <laughs> well, this is 2016. Uh... 2020 was a year. All right, 2020 was a whole year. We forget about it. It's been 11 years since it came out. At that time, Zuckerberg was still young billionaire, hmm. Facebook genius. Now the Zuckerberg we know is very much the Jesse Eisenberg Zuckerberg that we were showing. <laughs> The and villain. that is that yeah the villain uh but the complicated villain i'm sure and it's just very interesting to me that that has sort of come full circle and uh you know the, i can't i can't remember this thing but uh this is there's a great thing that i saw jack howard talking about with mark zuckerberg um when uh, he was doing a, a interview some at some point uh, and he makes it like a really great Freudian slip because he sort of says, "If I was human, <laughs> if I were... <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yeah," which is just robot so, Zook. which is just like this robot Zook, like you know, not real person that Jesse Eisenberg played so well. Mm. Yeah, but life um, reflecting art, hey. But it's so interesting to me because when I think of Fincher now, I think of Sorkin because I love the Social Network so much, and because that <laughs> meld worked so well together. They've only worked on one film together. They've only worked on that together. No one. I was literally just about to look that. That's it. That's it. That's it. Wow. Which is just crazy. crazy. And I think it speaks to both of their talents because uh, since if you look at Fincher's pre twenty ten films and his post twenty ten films, with the exception of Mank, possibly, it's all of his writers that he's worked with are very Sorkin esque. They're all, you know, you could you could see Sorkin writing a Gone Girl, right? He, he's mm. he's drawn to those types yeah. of stories. And Aaron Sorkin, by his own admission, who's now directing films, is uh, if you look at like Molly's Game and Trial of the Chicago Seven, that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> are very Fincher inspired, and mm. like I said, by his own admission, he, he, he I think he called what did he he said something like he treated David Fincher as his master Yoda when he was making Molly's Game. <laughs> well, funnily enough. Uh, David Fincher was actually, I think, originally I was going to say direct this. the Steve Jobs. No, I wasn't. 
by Epic. Oh, okay. You can, just, you can make another that. point then, which is written <laughs> I was by Aaron Sorkin. He, he worked on Star Wars originally. David, David Fincher. Fincher. David yes, Fincher. he worked. No, he worked for um, the the uh, CG company. Basically. Yes. Uh, what's it called? Something LM. Yes. Something light and magic. GLM. Glasslight uh, Media. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, uh, David Fincher did not work for us. No. But it, that, that's interesting full circle as well, that he's being referred to as his, his Master Yoda. Yeah. When he yeah. originated kind of working in the Star Wars arena. Well, yeah. and, it's, and that's an interesting point as to why he probably uses a lot of CG, because he was around in, mm. like, the... Cause, the boom. Did he work on Star Wars? Yes. He that must be because because Star Wars basically is like the pioneer of CG. Of like it's sort of it's sort of that and Matrix, right? Mm. Yes, yeah. the Ma- Matrix for different reasons because the Matrix was all about like that's that like grandeur like of like slow mo and that kind of technical <sighs> thing. Whereas mm-hmm. Star Wars was more of like lots of like CG pew, pew. characters and like effects and that kind of yeah. thing. So it's really interesting that. And now that I think about it, it's like, yeah, that makes sense as to why he would use so much CG, because it's like... He was he at the saw, birth of it. Yeah, like, he, he saw it or through. When, so when did he start in... Uh... To Google! Da, 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 da. To Google. David <laughs> Fincher. Stars. Well, I know he, his, first, uh, his first movie that he directed himself was Alien 3, which was an absolute flop. And mm-hmm. it, uh, he basically got, you know, the equivalent of blacklisted temporarily. Um, and was making commercials, and there's a great there's a great quote uh, by I think his name is I'm I'm really struggling here, but I think it's Michael Allen Khan. He was like he was his first AD back in the day, um, yeah. sort of early '90s Fincher, and he he talks about when he worked on Heineken commercials with him, and uh, how they were just so he'd be like putting the bottle perfectly in place and making sure it was lit. <laughs> The most Fincher and, and everyone around him was going, "It's for beer. What are you doing, mate?" And he was like, "No, it has to be like this." And that was when he says that was when he knew that Fincher was going to be something special. Mm. Yeah. Just back to what you were saying, I've googled. Uh, he w- he was he was hired by Industrial Light Magic. That's the one. Um, oh yeah. He well, he was also he he became a visual effects producer on Twice Upon a Time with George Lucas. And then he was hired by uh, ILM as an assistant cameraman and matte photographer working on Return of the Jedi and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. And that was That's crazy. 83 wow. and 84. I had no idea about that. I had no idea. That, but that makes so much sense. I know if it said it really does make sense. Yeah. Because as well, Star Wars is a good example of... Well, all right. The, the, <laughs> the first three are good examples of CG when it's needed. Right. Yeah. Yes. However, the prequels, uh, <laughs> it might be CG where it's not needed. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 level that it took it to, like if you if you look at the what they were doing at the time, you're like, that's easy. We do that all the time now. But it's like yeah. that was the first time they were doing it, and it might yeah. not have been great story films, and the CG might have been kind of like you don't need to do this. But in terms of yeah. like pushing the game, you're like this this was a film that needed to three films that needed to happen to, to push the boat of CG. Yeah, and it's the same, it's what happened with Lord of the Rings, it was that, because it was in that same sort of time period, Lord of the Rings, uh, despite coming out in, you know, 2000, 2001, 2003, um, we were all sort of made, with the exception of reshoots, in like 99, 90, you know, across a five year period, like yeah. up to 99. Um, so the CGI wasn't at that st- prequel Star Wars level yet where it was like look what we can do yeah <laughs> but it was uh, doing it out of necessity yes. which is the same yeah. as the original Star Wars is which is how Finch uses it which is how I really like CGI yeah apparently yeah. he almost uh, he was almost directing episode 7 oh that would have been did, interesting but then did that would have been interesting mm. yeah could have been written it's... by Aaron Sorkin do <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that uh, but it, talk about Aaron Sorkin again uh I just think it's interesting because we were saying he's only worked on one film with him before, but he does. Fincher does have a team of uh, frequent collaborators around him, which mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I know a lot of the best directors do. Um, he um, obviously, since uh, the Social Network, has worked with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross on I think every one of his films, uh, two 
amazing results. Those guys are the best of the best. I mean, uh, I think he worked with Howard Shaw on earlier films, which is crazy because Howard Shaw is like goat status. And then moving on to someone taking a risk on uh, Trent Reznor, who was just from Nine Inch Nails at the time. And um, it being, you know, that soundtrack to the social network is... uh, (laughs) Oh, oh mama, that is good. <laughs> and it changed the game as well, and now he works with him on everything. So he sort of, he worked with someone, Howard Shaw, Goat Status, Lord of the Rings soundtrack, you know, crazy good. And then created Goat Status in Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Because those guys are, in my opinion, unrivaled when it comes to score. And it makes sense that he's worked with them every time. Uh, he also works with uh, Jeff Cronenworth, the uh, cinematographer. I know he does vary, uh, vary who he works with, but for the most part, it's Cronenworth, and he's the one that creates that, you know, the, this the style that we're all so well, that's used the thing. to. It's kind of like you'll find it with a lot of directors when when you when you look, especially like Christopher Nolan works with Wally like, Fitzer. Hmm? Wally Fitzer, isn't it? Hoytman, Hoytman, isn't it? He did Interstellar. Oh, now we're at a, we're at a bypass there. I thought it was Wally Fitzer. Quick Google search. I don't know. I'll go, I'll go on to my point. Basically, you'll find with directors that when they find someone, whether it's a writer, a cinematographer, an editor that they like, they'll just go, right, you can make all my films now. Because yeah. they, they have that kind of uh, relationship where they're like, this I know what they want. Like, I know what this director wants and I'm going to do it. I can do it. And then they trust them to do it. So you'll find Me and Max like, haven't, haven't found that person just yet. No. <laughs> still Suck it, I'm, I'm on trial. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have you on a ten-year trial period. Yeah, uh, and then okay. So uh, up, you, up to up to Inception, it was Wally Fister, and then after that, I think it was when they made the switch to IMAX. Yes, because he was a beast of a. Was he still is? Like he's a he is a a. A big man, and the IMAX cameras are huge. <laughs> yeah, a big man. so like I remember those. Not to like diverge too much onto Christopher Nolan. Probably another episode. Absolutely, I, I would love to talk about Nolan. But like they were shooting, uh, you know, in Interstellar, where they're in the like that water planet. They're using a massive mm. like IMAX Miller's camera. Planet. He's like sinking into the sand, but he's there like just rock steady with this massive camera. Like it's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, so they'll find collaborators, and and it's. They create that... It, cinematographers are so... They just fly under the radar because they yeah. create the look that you associate with a director, which yeah. is yeah. one hell of an achievement. When you think of Fincher, I think you you instantly think of the way a film looks. Like you, you'll, the, you'll think of other stuff to credit him, obviously, but when someone says, think of The Social Network, I instantly go, oh, it's pretty, isn't it? And the way that it, like, like the camera like draws your attention, like especially mm-hmm. with in like the social network where they're in the courtroom and the camera like it'll cut to empty the chair. empty chair yeah and then in, in zodiac where it like the jake gyllenhaal's wife is having a conversation with him and it cuts to him and he's not yeah. there like he's in like he's in the room but he's yeah. not in like the doorway yes, he's yes. like over the other side of the room or something mm-hmm. yeah and so like using the Which camera is... to like for negative it's, it's basically putting that... David Fincher's fours onto screen in a way that looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think that's that's really the job of a cinematographer. You know, a good cinematographer basically is the translator of a director's brain. And I yeah. think, like you yes. said, they do not yeah. get enough credit at all. No, you not know, at all. Uh, not to bring it round to us too much, but like on Isle, I mean, I know in post production we we had our issues, but kind of having written and directed it and watching footage back even though the location wasn't what I'd originally pictured the 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 kind of cuts that we'd made prior to shooting it wasn't going to be exactly the same as what I pictured but when I saw the images on the monitor I was like okay how is Nathan in my brain do you know, yeah. do you know what I mean like we'd obviously talked but about the thing, it but, but the thing seeing is that, that result that's something that develops because we we've known each other for what we met in 2014. Is that when we yeah. started? Uni? Yeah. So yeah, seven years it's ago. Coming up to yeah. Yeah. Um. So like obviously we we've made a few things before. We've done like See, shorts and sketches and things where we had worked together. So 
when you do which is why people find collaborators because it's like it's so much easier when you've worked with someone for so long to just go i know exactly what you want don't worry whereas if it's someone that you've you've basically just met or in terms of film you'd like you would have had like a meeting it's like the producer be like this person and this person you two make a film basically be like director cinematographer here you go yeah um and then they'll have to figure out that relationship but when you are a director who who is basically on the level of David Fincher, you can go, no, I'm working with this person, this person, this person, because I know yeah. that they're going to do what I want them to do. Not like in a power way, but it's like they understand what I want and I can trust them to, yeah. to go and execute it. But the interesting thing about that is as well, is he has so many frequent collaborators. I know he has the same casting director on pretty much all of his films. And like I say, Jeff Cronenworth. Uh, and some of the same cast. Some... Well, I was going to say the cast is interesting because... You think of like you, when you think of Fincher films, you think they all have similar casts because Brad Pitt's in quite a few. But other Kevin than that, Spacey? well, they're Kevin all Spacey, in. Yeah. They're, <laughs> Not so much they're, anymore. They're all in like Not anymore. two, and that's about yeah. it. Two maximum. Uh, like Rudy Mara, Jared Leto. Although I wish he would stop working with Jared Leto. I why wish everyone was he, why was would he in stop. <laughs> I wish everyone would stop working with Jared Leto. My favourite scene of no all sense. of all movies of all time is in Panic Room when Jared Leto gets shot in the face. <laughs> I quite like Fight Club when he got beaten up. Yeah, so, yeah, so in Fight Club too, it's great. Well, I, I, just, I didn't understand why. Was, I, could, I was like, hang on, is that Jared Leto? Yeah. <laughs> it is Jared. Why has he got white hair? What's yeah. going on? Yeah, well, it's because he's um, he's because he's damaged. Oh <laughs> <laughs> no! Uh, but no, I uh, this isn't the shit on Jared Leto podcast as much as I would like it to be. That's for um, episode ten. Yeah, <laughs> but I um, he has a very uh, I don't know the word like meticulous choice when he comes to who he works with. Mm-hmm. So like. Social Network is a great example because it's like Jesse Eisenberg is perfect for the character. It goes for Rooney Mara, who's one of the best actors in the game, in my opinion. She's just so good. Uh, Brad Pitt, underrated, probably my favorite actor. Amazing. Loads of people that are just perfect for the role, but they don't come back if they're not needed. You know, like Rooney Mara was in House of Cards. Oh, was she? I didn't know that. She was in season oh, yeah. one, season and then she gets pushed into a train. Spoilers wow. for anyone that's not seen it. That's not Rudy Mara. That is Kate. It is. No, no, it's it not. Is. No, it's oh. Kate Mara. It's her sister. It's Kate Mara. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they look very similar. Keep it in the family. Yeah. I didn't know they were sisters. That's crazy. I think they're related. Let's Are they? Google it before we put this out. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, they are. Yeah, sisters. What? That's yeah. blowing my mind. <laughs> That's crazy. I had no idea. Uh, I I also love the fact I got stuck on a surname. <laughs> I was like Kate. <laughs> Kate, what's her name? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think you know he he because he's so good, and it's the same as sort of Nolan now, as you were saying. You, you get to this status where you can just pick and choose. You go, I'm working with yeah. them, so you can do. I'm working with the same people as I always work with, but I want these specific actors. To be in my specific film, and they're always—I mean, pretty much. Actually, no. I was going to say, Mank is one I don't like, but it's perfectly cast. Gary Oldman's excellent in it. So he, I don't think there's any examples of when he's got it wrong. You know, his casting's always perfect. No, the credit to the casting director. Like everyone, absolutely nails the role. Yeah. Every yeah. time, every every film. I, I like you said. I don't think there's a character where I've gone. Mm, I don't think they should have done it because they, you know, they they are all excellent in the roles that they play yeah yeah so just to finish off uh i've got a little fun little question for you i only have the verticals you know bit of fun. okay uh his next project coming up unless it gets dropped you know the nature of film these things happen but uh it's pen to be uh a, a, i assume drama <laughs> it'd be weird if he's straight into comedy but <laughs> uh, a drama called the assassin and so far, the only actor pinned down is Michael Fassbender, according uh, to speculation. Okay. That's all okay. we know. The only two names attached are David Fincher and Michael Fassbender. But I would like to know, you get to pick two people who you want to be involved, whether it's a writer, whether it's an actor, whether it's a certain cinematographer that's iconic that hasn't worked with him before. <laughs> I want Nathan to know Little. Who you're gonna, who oh. you're gonna, I want to know who you're going to pick. You get two Ooh. people. Aaron Sorkin. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. 
I know that ruins the game, but I think just having not seen uh, the social network, but having seen their their work separately, mm-hmm. I would I would love to see that. Yeah, well, you should go and watch Social Network for sure. I'm gonna, this. I'll Absolutely. watch it tonight. I think I yeah. can watch it tonight. Yeah, uh, good. You, you, you should. definitely should. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. I won't go for for a crew member. I'll go for cast. Then cool. I was would... thinking cast, you bastard. I'm oh. doing two casts, so go for it. I don't really. Know. I would love to see him work with Morgan Freeman again. Okay. Yeah. I think I like him in Seven was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the that character, the way he played that character, was just amazing i just, i love that film but like morgan yeah. freeman in that is just so so good yeah can i my my actor and i don't yeah. want to be a bit of i feel like this this will be a point of contention i think something okay. that's an element in the in fincher films is despite being vastly dramatic there is always these elements of of humor um uh, within them okay Bo Burnham, who's kind of Jesus, he's, did not he's, see that coming. Okay, he is. He's <laughs> earning it. No, he's earning his acting chops. He's had a few smaller roles. Yeah. Uh, I think he's obviously gotten a, a larger role in in Promising Young Woman. Um, yeah. He was in the which big six again. Yeah, yeah, he was in that smaller role playing and play, playing a comedian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> playing a very dry, cynical comedian. Yeah. Um, but Promising Young Woman, which is by and large a drama. Um, I I'd be interested to see some more of him in some dramatic acting roles, bringing well, a I, bit I, um, of humor into it. I like your stance there because I've gone for a comedic actor, but one that does dramas as well. Uh, I'm going to say it's, it's not Ricky Gervais, <laughs> but could you imagine? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, that's more Jimmy Carr. I was going to yeah. say. Um, no, I well, I'm just going to get this out of the way because I I chose two actors because I I expected. You, uh, at least one of you guys to say uh, Aaron Sorkin and Roger Deakins, which nobody has. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the yeah, obvious I choice. Nathan would say Deakins, I'm picking, to be I'm fair. picking those two. I, I want to see Deakins and Fincher. That that has to happen. It's dream. That, yeah, dream. That would be incredible. And written by Sorkin again. Yes, please. Uh, but I have two actors written down. I've gone for two younger actors. Uh, Lakeith Steinf- uh, Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, from Atlanta and Get Out mm. and Knives Out and uh, yes. Sorry to Bother You. Oh, have you seen Sorry to Bother You? No, I've, I've Watch seen it, him dude. In... It's, it's West, but it's amazing. I, I've seen him in Atlanta and yeah, another film that's not so good, but he's not he's not a lead. <laughs> okay, it's, but he's it, uh, he's some rom com. He's probably my favorite current actor right now like I know I, said, I know I said Brad Pitt was like my favorite of all time but I, I love mm-hmm. Keith man he is so versatile and so good uh, yeah. and Florence Pugh is my other one uh, I think she's okay. uh, got so much to offer like uh, I Midsommar was probably my favorite film of 2019 haven't seen um, it you A24 bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> I know but I loved it uh, and Little Women is uh, not far behind on that list. Little Woman was excellent, and she's great in that as well. She was also in a film called Lady Macbeth, which uh, isn't that good. What's it about? Really? <laughs> good one. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's really great in it. Uh, and I just think she's one of the best in the industry, and I like actors that are versatile, so I'd like to see them work with Fincher, where he'll be, like, ruthless. You know? Mm, yeah. I want to see... Really him break bring, him in. Br- I want to see him bring out the best in the best up and coming stuff. Yeah, because uh, Florence Pugh was in a WWE biopic like last year, two years ago, was and that it was her? and it was yeah. Did that the, have the Rock about, in it? Yeah, and it was watchable yeah. because of her. Like <laughs> I didn't watch it. Hell I'll be honest, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I watched it. I did. I saw it, the it trailer and I went, nah, I'm alright. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting with my family is called. If you like WWE, yeah. give it a watch, man. But uh, it's, it's not great. Uh, but she Don't carries it. it. She makes it very watchable. Yeah. Uh, and if you have that ability to carry a film on your own, I would like to see you work with a film that you don't need to carry anything and you're mm. just mm. given, you know, because she sort of got that in Midsummer and in Little Women. But imagine her in a Fincher film. It'd be amazing. So I think uh, I think that's probably the best time to, to wrap up. We've been trying to. Trying to cut our time down uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, especially because uh, we're going to the uh, the audio platforms now. Got to be bump, 
me up more accessible you know with none of these Less two hour epics <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, um i think i think probably the best person and i i i hope nathan agrees here um to pass this outro to officially would be max um given that he's he's a little finchy boy that loves a little bit of david fincher i i yeah. think i i would feel most comfortable giving this outro to, to max uh to wrap everything up uh, i mean that's a lot of pressure for something I didn't plan for, but <laughs> I'll go for it. I'll go for it. We planned for these things? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was just fun to do a nice little uh, in-depth analysis of someone whose work I've admired for a long time, and I know it's the same for you guys. Uh, and I, I like ones when it's work that's been, it, you know, it's, it leaves an impact on you. I still think about the social network every day, you know, and, uh, and, same with pretty much everything he's done since 2010 I, i'm always thinking about and um i just uh, there's a lot of directors that i would also like to talk about we like i said at the start we did a little uh, instagram poll got a few suggestions that were good in there edgar wright being one of them we saw edgar wright i uh, did my dissertation on edgar wright so i'm, uh, I'm full-on gobshite mode when it comes to him if you want me to be <laughs> uh, chris nolan chris nolan was in there and you know i did mine on bo burnham yeah well we did, I did mine on the uh, cultures of eating habits. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, media degree. <laughs> Calm down. So yeah, if you like this, you know there'll be another episode up every Friday, uh, unless you know the world ends, like it actually might. You know, <laughs> anything can happen. Who knows? But every Friday we're gonna have an episode out. If you're listening to it, drop us a subscribe on YouTube because it really helps us out. You know, it's the best way to get it. If you just want to see our beautiful faces, it's the best way to watch us. And if you just like our voices, thanks for listening to us anyway. We're still on here every Friday. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's, that's about as high-pitched as we get. That's about as high-pitched. See you later. Bye, <laughs> Bye everybody. And then we oh. ramble at the end and uh, <laughs> ruin the illusion. And yeah. Here we go. I think cool. I'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs>